Engage quantum drive. Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 5, A Tale of Two Topas, which was written and directed by Seth MacFarlane. Before we get to the episode, we do have a new review. (gasps) Yay! This one comes in on Apple Podcasts from Rich at 1138, who says, A welcome conversation among friends. Fellow Orville fans, I cannot say this clearly enough. Not a single episode of the Orville feels complete until I've finished each follow-up Quantum Drive episode. Rob and Katie don't just provide good commentary. They invite us to sit down together and share in talking about the show as friends, and that makes what they do and how they do it an experience set apart from so many other podcasts. The Orville is a great show. Quantum Drive is its natural companion. (gasps) One last thing. And I think you'll find this interesting. That's my added commentary. Okay. Rob and Katie, I would love for you both to consider a watch through podcast of TNG (gasps) after Orville season three ends. I believe you would do it proper justice. And I, for one, would love to keep you on my weekly playlist talking about something we all love. Here's to the future. To the future. That is the sweetest review ever. Yeah, that's super nice. And it's Thank you. funny that you should say <laughs> a TNG podcast. And that's all I'm going to say. You'd bring that up. All I'm going to say. <laughs> Thank you so much for the review. I have to say, like anybody who writes a review or the best way for me to put it comes out of the woodwork. Like yeah. if I'm streaming and some people have been popping by saying, love the new episode of Quantum Drive. So it literally makes my day that people enjoy the show. And then if you come and tell us, it makes my day 10 times better. Like people have come to the stream and been like, hey, I found you through the podcast. And I'm That's like, awesome. what? I know. I'm like, you came to say hi. That means a lot. So I, I hope that people know it's just like we do love talking about this show and that other people sit with us while we do that is very, very cool. Heck yeah. If you'd like your review read on the podcast, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star written review over there. We also have an email. Oh, damn. (laughs) This is from Sarah, who says, Hi, guys. Wow, what a great podcast. You are actually the first podcast that I regularly follow and can't wait for the new episodes. You have such a pleasant, familiar vibe during your conversations that I can't wait to catch every new episode with you. Actually, when the last Orville episode, Gently Falling Rain, came out, I couldn't help thinking while watching it about your takes on all the twists and turns. Rooting with you for Nurse Park's obvious well-being. And thank you for creating this great (laughs) podcast. P.S. Although Bordis and Clyden's relationship is probably the most toxic thing I have ever seen anywhere, (laughs) I still love them. And one of my top 10 favorite scenes is Clyden pronouncing the words, Fun list. Oh, 
Man, we're have a lot to talk about, Clyden and Bordis, <laughs> this episode. You sure are. Absolutely. That is the ultimate compliment that you're thinking about what we're thinking about the episode. That is just... While you're watching yes. the actual TV episode? Yeah, that's crazy. That's really cool. I love I, it. I, I'm excited that people get excited about this coming out. Yeah. Because we've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's just been wild to me that we're halfway through season three now. I can't believe it. It's too fast. Because I, on my calendar, I listed out like, okay, Quantum Drive podcast recordings. And then I also put the new episode coming out because it comes out at 10 p.m. for me. So I watch it Wednesday nights. And I found out when the last day was going to be. And it made me sad. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you for everybody sharing their comments. It makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. So it's great. Yeah. If you'd like to send an email to us, you can do so by sending one to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can join the Discord to talk about the podcast and the show over at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. We've gotten a couple new people in there recently. It's been super cool to talk to them. And if you'd like access to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Before we get into the episode itself, Katie has trivia. Oh, I have so many thoughts about this episode, but I'm going to refrain and just tell you about fun facts first. (laughs) (laughs) So the first and most obvious fun fact is that the title is, we think, a reference to the 1859 novel, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. Because it's a tale of two topas. And that story, did you watch Wishbone growing up? I did not. Okay. Wishbone was my jam. It was on PBS. It's about a little dog who was very well read. The stories of his IRL life and then the fantasy. They would go through a book. So every time I think of A Tale of Two Cities, I picture the Wishbone version of that. So picture a Jack Russell Terrier (laughs) playing out the parts of uh, A Tale of Two Cities and you got it. You pretty much got it. (laughs) Okay. So that's a fun fact about me and that's a fun fact about the title. (laughs) In this episode, Bordis sings two songs at a very epic concert that was put Mm -hmm. on. The first one is called Nature Boy, and that song was originally recorded by American jazz singer Nat King Cole, and it was released on March 29th, 1948. Wow. Yeah. The second song is You'll Never Walk Alone. That is a show tune from 1945 from Rogers and Hammersteins. I can never say their name. There is a musical they did called Carousel. Mm-hmm. I have never heard of Carousel till today. <laughs> I'm not familiar with the musical, but I'm familiar with this particular song. Not so much the first one, but this one for sure. I went on YouTube. I watched the scene what this song is from because they made a movie version of this. Okay. And what was going down in that scene was very serious seeming without any other context of what oh. was going on. Also, there is a revisit to the court scene where they were deciding Topa's fate from about a boy. And we had theories about like, oh, It seems like they maybe re-recorded some of this or they had some new shots integrated so that Topa could move around the set. And Tom Constantino confirmed that. And on his Twitter said, we had to go back into dailies to see what was available to use from the Brandon Braga directed episode, including never before seen angles to build an animatic. After we planned out the storyboard slash animatic, we had to construct part of the set to get new angles so that Topa could interact with the scene and Havina, which I think is so neat Yeah, when you think about it. We also brought back some of the original actors and, of course, the amazing Rena Owen to recreate new shots. 
Some of the cast dressed in season one uniforms for background plates as well. Howard, Berger, and team helped to make sure continuity was kept. So I think that's very impressive. And Rob put on Twitter, so go to Quantum Drive Pod and follow us. Rob did a side-by-side of the original scene and this scene. It's pretty impressive to see them together. Yeah, the pacing of the speech from the original and this one match up exactly. And Tom alluded to the fact that he was very meticulous about making sure that the edits hit that pacing so that it would line up perfectly. It's it's such an incredibly well done sequence. I love continuity. And I literally just thought they maybe inserted the actress playing Topa into the scene. And mm. then as I was watching, I'm like, no, this is stuff we haven't seen before. So it was just very impressive. Yeah. That whole thing. Because About a Boy is such a memorable episode to me. About a girl. About a girl. About a Boy is a movie with Hugh Grant. Um, (laughs) About a Girl is a very memorable episode. So seeing this together, it didn't seem like it was a new scene. Mm. That's how close to the original they kept everything. Yeah, I mean, we've seen shows revisit their past episodes before, and it's generally kind of obvious as to what is old and what is new. And the magic trick they pull off here makes it so incredibly seamless. Unbelievable. And then having the comparison that you did side by side was kind of awe-inspiring, to be honest. So, all right, on to guest stars. Rena Owen, who we just talked about, made a special guest appearance featured in the simulation so Topa could see the trial that took place. Yeah. Rena plays Avina, very memorable character from About a Girl and uh, the season two episode Sanctuary. So I was very excited to see Rena Owen back because I love Havina. Same. Aside from Talaya who I was like most excited to see come back. Mm-hmm. Havina was number two on my list. So yeah. even though we didn't really get new Havina story, I want to see her back still and see like where her story's gone. But yeah, happy to see her again, regardless. Yeah. Since I do the fun facts, I watched to see who the guest stars are in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I saw Rena Owen. I was like, yes. And so I was very, <laughs> very stoked for that. Andy Milder is in this episode, who I'm pretty sure this is me speculating Rob and I both compared the voice of this actor. (laughs) We're pretty sure that he is playing the naked Alcarian alien, Ensign Bulabar. And he's been in a ton of stuff. Like this actor has been in a lot of things. He has starred in Weeds as Dean Hodes, Parks and Rex as Freddy. He had a guest role on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and in Voyager. Nice. And he's appeared in movies like Apollo 13, Armageddon and Transformers. He's done a ton of voice work. So you've probably seen him somewhere. But again, we're speculating that he's the naked alien. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he is. But correct us if I'm wrong on that one. Yeah. For anybody wondering, Katie and I go back and forth a lot on trying to figure out who's playing who. And we mm-hmm. often record these episodes before a lot of these guest stars are confirmed. So we are making our best educational guesses in a lot of situations. Yeah, I feel like I'm 99% on everything else. Just this one, he could be playing somebody else. But Pretty sure. Underneath that special effects makeup, which is so good, sometimes it's hard to tell who the actor is. Very true. Andy Chapman is in this episode who plays Admiral Howland, and she's a familiar face to me. So if you've seen her before, it may have been in a multitude of things. She's been Deidre in the show 911 and Dolores Maloney on General Hospital. But her internet movie database and just her credits go on forever. 
So she's also been in Beverly Hills, 90210, ER, NYPD Blue, The X-Files, The Shield, Dexter, 24, Glee, NCIS, Shameless, How to Get Away with Murder, plus many more. So you've probably seen Andy Chapman somewhere before. And this was a fun fact about her, that she was the first Black actress to voice Storm in an X-Men feature. Oh, really? It was called Pride of the X-Men from 1989. Yes, I know Mm -hmm. that one very well. And that's one where Wolverine weirdly has an Australian accent for some reason. But yeah, that's a great animated movie. Yeah, I loved this character. Yeah, she was great. Yeah, so she was was awesome. Jim Mahoney is in this episode who plays the character Brosk. He's the bubbly, teal-headed alien. Mm -hmm. The actor who plays him is a writer and has been credited with helping write the movie Klaus on Netflix. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah. the Jason Schwartzman, J.K. Simmons movie, which is very heartfelt and may or may not have made me cry. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) he was involved with that. But this is a fun fact about Brosk. He is only one of two alien crew members, the other being Unk, who speaks his own language rather than going through the translator. That's true. I never really considered that. But yeah. yeah, two for one there. Yeah. And last but not least, Imani Pullum, who plays Topa, got their first major acting role in the Disney Broadway touring production of The Lion King, and she portrayed young Nala. Oh, wow. Okay. Which I think is super interesting. I love The Lion King, and I got to see the Broadway show a few years ago. It's honestly incredible what they do for that. The animals that they, I don't know how to explain it. They have like, it's not (laughs) animatronic, but they have like these really elaborate sets and animals. I'm doing air quotes. I know if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see, but like, (laughs) like giant giraffes and things. It's just a really neat thing that she also was involved with that. Cool. And she was also featured on the reboot of Nickelodeon's All That. Yes. Yeah. She had a fairly short IMDb list, but yeah, she's young. So that's to be expected. But I'm just very excited about Topa and Topa's journey. And uh, I love the actress who played Topa. So those are all the fun facts and guest stars from this episode. All right. So getting into the episode itself, I do have a quick note right here. Mm -hmm. As we go through the episode summary, I wrote it using the pronouns that the episode does as it progresses. So you'll hear us start off with he, him pronouns for a bit. And we'll switch to the she, her pronouns as the episode itself does. So I wanted to stay consistent with that. Just for anyone wondering why we're using particular ones at any given time. That makes sense. Okay. A winged creature flies above the site of an alien temple where the crew is conducting an exploration and excavation of the ancient structure. We learn that Ed is writing daily letters to Anaya and storing them in case he ever gets the opportunity to share them with her. Ensign Burke then leads Mercer and Grayson inside to what they believe is the primary burial vault. Since it's heavily booby-trapped, Isaac puts himself in harm's way and a series of projectiles bounce off of him. All except one, that is. Inside the chamber, they find a treasure trove of Hemblicite artifacts. Well, if anyone knows me, they know I love the mummy. So this was giving me full <laughs> mummy vibes right out the gate. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. But yes, really? absolutely. Yeah, First I should I have known of- that Katie would be like the mummy. <laughs> First thing I was like, this is mummy stuff. I'm down for this. So yeah, yeah I loved the whole Isaac scene with the booby trap. It's great. There's a lot in this first opening. I mean, we see this beautiful temple and I was getting excited because I'm like, is this going to be like an ancient Egyptian episode? It turned out not to be, which is okay. I'm fine with that. But I enjoyed seeing the, the imagery of that. 
And then just getting to see Isaac. I think personally, Isaac just keeps stepping up more and more. Yeah, I think he might be overcompensating a little bit. I also feel like he's becoming more confident or like more of a confidence, not the right word. He's just kind of taking on what feels like a superhero role a little bit. Mm. But I think that could just be because he stood in the way of a bunch of knives flying at him. There's other things that happen later in the episode, too, that yeah. I very much appreciated. But yeah, what did you think of all of this? Like the the temple and just everything? I thought it was all really cool. I wish we got to see more of it. Same. I would have definitely loved more of I mean, it's ancient Egyptian stuff, which is yeah. I went to Borders Books and bought these books and I would sit at home and flip through like tombs. And at a time I was motivated to learn hieroglyphics and it was really hard so that I never finished doing that. But I'm very fascinated with that stuff. So if there is ever a themed episode with ancient <laughs> Egyptian anything, I'm down for that. <laughs> yeah. Also, I generally enjoy the standalone nature of a lot of these episodes, but I did like the quick mention of Anaya in the beginning just to kind of keep that thread going. They don't really reference the previous episode beyond that. Yeah. But that was a nice little like tip of the hat to it. What did you think of Kelly saying you still surprise me to Ed? I'm still on that fence with you as to like, I don't know if this is building to something or if they've just found a good spot to rest in. It feels to me like it's building to something, but you can't tell for sure, right. which I think is the point. Yeah, just they seem to be getting more familiar again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, the whole stuff with Anaya is nice to know, like, oh, it wasn't just a one and done. Ed had a kid. And then they're like, yeah, I guess she's just in that room back there forever. Yeah. So I appreciate it, too. Like, OK, I feel like it will come up in a bigger capacity in the future. Agreed. Back on the Orville, a team is analyzing the artifacts. We cut to the bridge of a Mocklin ship where Topa is sitting in the captain's chair during a Kalon attack. As one of the Kalon ships nearly collides with them, the simulation freezes and vessel destroyed is displayed on the view screen. Kelly enters and asks why Topa was running the command program, to which he replies that he'd like to take the Union Point entrance exam when he's old enough. To help, Kelly then gives Topa the opportunity to shadow her in her duties for a few days. It's a good scene. I did find two things kind of weird about it, though. Oh. One, if it's a command program to prepare for the Union, why is it on the bridge of a Mocklin ship? Maybe you can just, like, customize it to be like, hey, today I'm going to be on a Mocklin ship, you know? Maybe, but I would assume that they would have, like, procedures and things in place to make sure that they're operating as the Union would and not how a Mocklin ship would. Maybe Topo was just like dipping his toe in to see if, ooh, do I do I like this? Do I hate it? And to be fair, Clyden is pretty staunch on the Mocklin heritage. So maybe Topo was like, I guess I'll just start. All true. But then I don't think Kelly would be like, why were you running the command program? Listen, I don't have a good answer. For that, OK, <laughs> <laughs> this is why it feels weird to me. Yeah. The other thing is that Topa slams his hand into the console and a piece of it gets lodged in his hand. And I thought maybe they would come back to that, but they don't. But the weirder part is that wouldn't the safeties be on? Yeah, they should be. So he shouldn't be able to get injured in there. Like no matter how hard he hits that, if anything, it should just like dissipate or turn into jelly or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, see, I, I don't know how the eSIM works technically, <laughs> but it makes me think that you can get the illusion of being hurt without actually being hurt. Maybe that would be very strange. I'm doing it. I'm trying. OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that I didn't realize this was Topa right away. Oh, really? OK. 
Well, I knew what the name of the episode was going in, so I just assumed it was Topa. Well, I did too, Rob. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was sitting there like halfway through that sequence and I looked at Mark. I was like, I think that's Topa. And he's like, yeah, it's Topa. And I'm like, oh my gosh, because Topa's <laughs> grown up a lot. Yes, that's true. And I didn't expect this. I figured out like this is probably a simulation at a certain point. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I was like, did Topa grow up and like start living life outside of <laughs> the Orville? Because do we really know how Mocklin's age we learn that they have accelerated growth in their adolescence, but I don't know at what point that slows down or like, we don't know the ongoing pace of it just till they like get to eight years old or something. But as soon as I realized it was Topa, I just love Topa for some reason. There's just this part of me where I'm like, I watched you since you were an egg. <laughs> but I really liked the sequence because just the cadence that Topa talks with seeing Topa in that scenario, showing that he's capable and willing to like, that's impressive at that age. I know I'm guessing at what age he is, but I thought this was a really nice way to introduce Topa this season. Yeah. And I'm rooting. I'm rooting for Topa. Totally. Only other thing when they're going through the artifacts, one of them looks like Batman's wrist gauntlets because it has like the three things on the. I will tell you, I didn't notice that. <laughs> But I noticed the mummy thing. So you notice the yeah. Batman stuff. I'll notice the mummy stuff. <laughs> well, we both got our stuff. That's fine. Yeah, we got. Oh, also the opening sequence. You've seen the fifth element, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of had that fifth element vibe at the beginning. A totally. Little too. Yep. And those are some of my favorite movies and things I grew up with. So I was just all about the whole ancient world vibe. Oh, yeah. Wish we could have a whole episode about <laughs> all this stuff there, too. The next day, Topa arrives in Grayson's office to shadow her on her morning rounds. The first thing they have to deal with is a naked Belkarian officer. When Kelly asks him to put on a uniform, he says that wearing clothing on the first of the month is considered an affront to the spirit lord in his religion. They ultimately settle the matter when he agrees to Kelly's compromise of wearing pants. This was fun for me. I thought it was a funny <laughs> scene. And there's the little bits of humor they peppered into this episode that I, mm. I love. I first, I was like, are they going to show full frontal nudity <laughs> in this? Because we're on Hulu now. They can. But I have to say, when a special effects department does full body alien makeup, it's just so impressive to me because that would take so much time. Seriously. So I appreciate that somebody painted that man's butt so that we could have this <laughs> joke. <laughs> In general, too, I love day in the life scenes mm -hmm. like this. Big adventures are cool. Love them. Absolutely. But the world building that comes along with just seeing what everyday life is like for the crew is just as important. Yeah. It's like the show Lower Decks, which I put off watching forever. Mm -hmm. And then I started watching it and I was like, oh, I really like this show. Yeah. It's nice to see like the mundane stuff. Yeah. It helps build the world. It's not just like every day's an action movie. It's sometimes there's a naked Belkarian. <laughs> <laughs> working with other people. So I feel like it fleshes out so much. <laughs> fleshes out after the naked <laughs> I don't even mean to do this. <laughs> Apparently I said something last episode and Rob was like, you totally missed what you said. And I brought it up to you and I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it does. It helps make this universe feel more genuine and real. Yeah. And that compromise needs to happen. I was going to say, like, I was surprised he agreed to pants. I thought it was going to be like tidy whities or something like that. <laughs> Still funny. <laughs> The next stop is engineering, where John asks for a power allocation to perform an upcoming procedure. Kelly then explains to Topa that the job can be just as much mundane work as it is adventure. 
Topa asks Kelly why she chose to join the fleet, and she says that she's always been comfortable with responsibility and likes helping other people succeed. When she asks Topa the same, he says that he's always felt incomplete, and maybe the answer is out among the stars. He also feels like there's something wrong with him, and he's not happy. Okay. So there is so much I love about this scene between Kelly and Topa. The first is having them stand in front of the quantum core and the framing of the shots with the two of them mm-hmm. just looks so powerful and they're just composed so well. Also, the performances here are phenomenal. Like watching Kelly's face react to Topa saying that he's unhappy and her knowing what the truth is. And you're watching her heart break in real time mm-hmm. from just a facial expression change. I think this is my favorite scene from the show, like ever. Wow. I cried a little. <laughs> just the way Topa was speaking and the interaction, like you were saying, it was a beautifully shot sequence as well. The dialogue and the writing of this scene just spoke to me in a way. And I felt what Topa was saying and what Kelly was saying. And the scene just worked well. The actors did an amazing job. The scene felt like it was written, like how real people would talk about something like this and like from an adolescent's perspective. Yeah. And the acting alone, like you were saying, how Adrian Palicki was, you could just see the emotion on her face. And Topa, so the actress who played Topa did such a phenomenal job because as soon as Topa first talks, it has such the same cadence as like a Bordis or a Clyden. And I was like, oh, that's Clyden's kid kind of thing, you know? Yep. And I really thought for an actress so young that just to get those small details so right. And you could tell that Topa was guarded in what he was sharing at the time and just also trying to be honest. And my heart broke for Topa. And after that scene, I think I was so hooked into this episode that I just, yeah, this was the moment where in my brain, I was so invested in this episode. It is the driving scene of the episode. Without it, the push forward from here wouldn't work as well. It gets you, like you said, you get invested right away. You care about Topa more than you ever have, even though we always love Topa. Yeah. You just care more about this character who's being vulnerable and sharing things for the first time when all we've ever known is this innocent little kid. Yeah. Like Topa grew up between last season and this season and then is dealing with some stuff that is not just... Oh, I'm kind of sad today. Exactly. And also the way that Topa speaks, I think this is because Seth MacFarlane wrote this episode and I coming from a human perspective too. just everybody's probably been there dealing with some of those things that Topa is bringing up. Yeah. And was this the scene that Topa brought up the Claire quote? I believe so. Like the if you can go back to sleep, it means. Yeah. So that line specifically when he brings up, oh, Dr. Finn said this once and. He just says, I don't think I'm happy because he doesn't go back to sleep at night. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. So, yeah, this is the hook that grabs you and then sinks in. And then I was ready for whatever was coming, but I just feel like this scene was so powerful. In a meeting with Ed and Claire, we learn that the crew is starting to soften toward Isaac since his suicide attempt. Grayson then enters to say that she's worried about Topa and that who he is and who he was are soon to collide. She goes on to express her frustration in having to hide the truth from him. Ed suggests that it may be time to talk to Bordis. What I liked about this is Kelly went to them for guidance. Yeah. And like we were just talking about the mundane day-to-day kind of stuff. I like seeing, oh, they're a crew, but they're all human. They don't have the answers all the time. So they have to take counsel with each other. And the way that this scene worked made sense. 
what do you do in a situation like this when you have, quote unquote, insider knowledge about what happened to Topa? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine trying to keep something like that in and just seeing someone struggling with like, I don't know who I am. And then having that, it's like a big, deep, dark secret that you can't reveal. I think this shows the maturing of the crew, too, because like Mm -hmm. you said, Kelly goes to them for guidance, whereas they used to be a lot more dysfunctional and kind of just doing things by the seat of their pants. But they feel like much more of a cohesive unit this season than they ever have. Yeah, there's a lot more collaboration Mm. between everybody. And I mean, Ed's suggesting, oh, maybe it's time to talk to board. It's his obvious next steps. So it all makes sense. But I liked the discussion that the three of them had about this and then also getting the little like nuggets about Isaac, too, before. It's just a good way to deliver information. Yeah. Things seem to be shifting because I feel like this season has started kind of somber and it feels like there's some more hopeful bits popping up. Yeah, I like it. Kelly goes to Bordis and Clyden's quarters to tell them about Topa and ask if they've considered telling him about his past, to which they say they don't feel the time is right. When she tries telling them how unhappy Topa is, Clyden gets upset and asks her to leave. When Grayson leaves, Bordis tries to have a conversation about it with Clyden, but Clyden insists that learning the truth would be more painful for Topa than whatever he's dealing with now. One of the things I found pretty interesting about this scene, and I went back to watch the evolution of it throughout the scene itself, when Kelly comes in and she starts off by acknowledging both Bordis and Clyden, But then as the conversation goes on, the more that Clyden dismisses her, the more she shifts her attention exclusively to Bordis and only will throw like a quick glance toward Clyden's direction. And it was a nicely, I'm assuming a lot of that came from the direction, although it could have been choices from the actors too. But it was a nice evolution of how that might actually play out where like, you are shifting your attention towards the person who's going to be receptive to what you're actually saying. Which makes sense because Clyden is, we've talked about it in the past, Clyden is very abrasive, mm-hmm. very, this is the way it should be always. Clyden gets so upset so quickly, it's so hard to have a conversation with him. And then Clyden brings up, if I didn't know that I was born female, it would have saved me from a ton of pain. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of see where Clyden's coming from. But it's like Clyden's way or no way. Yeah. One thing about this scene in general is the acting between Clyden and Bordas or Peter Macon and Chad L. Coleman is phenomenal. You can almost feel that anger mm-hmm. and frustration. It's just tough to watch, too, because I love Bordas and I want his family life to be positive. And I mean, you want that for everybody. But this scene just had a lot layered into it mm-hmm. and just all the interactions and I know if someone was dismissing me in a conversation, I'm not going to look at them as much as somebody who's actually engaged with me. So yeah, those little details make a difference. And I was going to say this later, but Peter Macon and Adrian Palicki did such an amazing job in this episode. I mean, they all did, but the small details in their acting choices were phenomenal. Yeah. Topa enters Grayson's office to inform her that he's unable to continue training with her as Clyden has forbidden it. While he has the option of asking the captain instead... He feels a connection with Kelly that wouldn't be the same. She regretfully responds by saying that she has to honor his father's wishes. Clyden's hatred of women is something that I would love more on just to know. I mean, it's probably from Mocklin society, maybe even a little bit of confusion in Clyden because being born female and he had the surgery and that's just the way it is. It's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Clyden is teaching Topa those same things. 
I mean, you very much see in this episode, Topa is his own thinker. He doesn't just take in what Clyden says. Mm-hmm. And I think Bordas helps balance that out too. Clyden's hatred of women is just very, very apparent in this episode. Yeah, I think it is largely a result of self-loathing that he aims at other people. It's the overcompensation again. It's that thing where like in society, we often learn that people who are very homophobic mm-hmm. end up coming out of the closet eventually because they're they're self-loathing. So they overcompensate by hating. You can't help but feel sad for Topa, but it, we've watched so much of Clyden in the past seasons. You're like, this is just how Clyden is. Mm-hmm. But to hear something like, well, I can train with Ed, but I can't train with you seems such like a dig at maybe Clyden's like Kelly's meddling too much. But then there's also that subtle dig of, but you're also a woman. Oh, yeah. It's definitely both those things. Yeah. So this scene, you can tell how sad Topa is because Topa's like, Captain's great, but I don't want to just do that. It makes me feel for Topa when you see like someone in control, like your parents or something limiting you from having the experiences you want. Yeah. And Kelly's just trying to help. I did like Kelly's line here and it goes by very quickly where she says, as much as I hate him, as much as I hate his answer, he's your father. Oh, I missed that. Oh, yeah. She slipped and she was basically like, I hate Clyden. Clyden becomes harder to like as the seasons go on, which Mm -hmm. I think is intentional. It is, absolutely. It starts off like, oh, he's just the crumbungeoned Bordis partner. And then as we grow in the seasons, we see Clyden's more controversial takes on things or puritanical is not the right word, but like Mocklin puritanical, maybe? Traditional. Traditional, yeah. Just this is the only way. And like you can tell how much Clyden hates being on the union ship. Mm Mm-hmm. I know we'll get into a lot more about what happens with Clyden later. I have a lot of questions (laughs) later on in this episode, but he's hard to like. And I guess I missed that little slip of the tongue. It was interesting. Oof. Topa heads to the science lab to speak with Isaac to ask him what it's like being dead. But he doesn't have much to share since he has no emotional response to the event. Isaac then goes to Kelly's quarters to inform her of the conversation as union protocol dictates that he report such things. Major warning flags coming from Topa here. Mm -hmm. I did, however, enjoy Isaac's quick note about informing the crew that he wasn't visiting Kelly for relationship reasons. Yes. Honestly, a lot of Isaac's lines have made me laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Kelly was like, no, you don't just don't say anything. (laughs) Better off not to address it. It's better off. Yeah. Also, at the beginning of the scene, we get Charlie showing Topa mm-hmm. a rendition of the alien species. Yeah. And that was pretty cool. Very ancient Egyptian-esque kind of headgear. Or like, I don't know if that was their like ears or body parts on the alien. I have to pause the screen and get a good look at it. It made me think of... I like Star Wars. Obviously, I go I know harder exactly into Star what Trek. But yeah, it yeah. reminds me of the alien race that Ahsoka Tano is. Mm-hmm. Where they have the head tendril type yes. things. Yeah. Also, speaking of Fifth Element, there's the opera singer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of opera singer vibes, too. Mm-hmm. But I like that little lore drop about, hey, we're still working on this excavation. And then the scene quickly turns into heartbreaking when Topa goes to talk to Isaac about, yeah. hey, what's it like to die? <laughs> were you OK being revived? I think the show has done a really good job, not dancing around suicide, obviously, but mm-hmm. coming up with creative ways to discuss it. Yeah. Because he's like, well, when I reactivated myself, because when you put it in terms of a robot, it's a lot less visceral Mm -hmm. and intense. So Topa asking these things and even the way Isaac talks about it, it makes it a little bit more 
I don't want to say palatable, but that's the word that comes to mind. Yeah. It just seems more like a creative way to discuss this topic and not make it so in your face all the time because they're not ignoring that it happened. Right. And it's not the primary thing that this episode is about either. So Mm -hmm. to have it discussed in a way that they can get through quickly. Yeah. Kelly approaches Topa in the mess hall to check up on him and let him know that he can always come to her. Before leaving, she tells him that when she's feeling low, she likes to have a slice of kimbok or maklin apsada cake. Topo returns to his quarters and searches for kimbok recipes, but finds one password-protected file that's not a recipe. Disappointed, he synthesizes a slice of kimbok when he receives an incoming message with the password. He opens the file and begins reading. I want the cake, first of all. (laughs) It looked like a really good chocolate cake. I don't know what you would call the little dome on top. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but I already started brainstorming on what I could make it to like recreate it. And I'm thinking like a sugar glass half dome on top. And then, yeah, it looked delicious. At this point, I'm like, why would Kelly be like, go look up recipes for Opsada cake? And then Topa goes and looks up recipes about Opsada cake. And I'm just sitting there like, wait, what is Why would there be a password protected? So I'm over there a little bit confused at this point. I was going to say from that scene, Topa's smarter than me, (laughs) clearly. Yeah. Because I didn't pick up on the fact that Kelly was like, hey, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You should go look for Kimbok recipes, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. There might be something more than just Kimbok recipes. I wasn't getting that. Why would they put the trial records in a Kimbok recipe? I don't think they were. I think Kelly changed the name of a file or something to make it easier and then like led him in that direction. But I didn't get that she was leading him in that direction in that scene and that he was picking up on this hidden message. I did just because she was really talking about the recipes and how many recipes there were. And I was like, that's a bit weird. Yeah, I just missed it. Yeah, I could see how it could fly a little bit past the radar. But overall, this whole sequence was interesting because Topa just kind of goes, all right, whatever, and gets some cake. Yeah. And then the password. This is where Topa's smarter than me. I didn't know that was the password being sent over. I was like, what's this now? Oh, see, I got that. Yeah. (laughs) We just both need to be in that scenario. We would have figured it out. (laughs) The two of us only equal one brain. Yeah, one brain. So (laughs) we would have gotten there eventually. Ordis and Clyden seek out Topa in their quarters after he missed a game with his father. When they enter, he asks if he was born female and Clyden denies it. But Bordis tells the truth. Topa says that it explains why he feels the way he does, but Clyden continues to insist that leaving him female would have been a mistake, while Bordis accepts him for everything he is and was. Ugh. <laughs> Just how Clyden acts. I- I'm glad Bordis is there. Yeah. Just because... <sighs> You can understand why Clyden's like this because this is how Clyden is. It's just heartbreaking to see him do that and then do it this way to Topa. Yeah. We've been seeing their ideologies clash over and over again for a couple seasons now. And it was around this point in this episode that I started asking myself, as I have many times with these two, how Bordis and Clyden can stay together despite these massive differences. It does seem like marriage in Mockless is till death. That's why when they do the divorce, quote unquote, you stab someone so you don't they're not alive anymore. Right. But it's an unconventional Mocklin relationship because they're on the union ship. Also true. I am 
almost wonder why Clyden stays. I feel like I can understand Bordis's sense of duty and like, hey, we got a kid and like. For sure. Yeah. I think they care about each other. What's tough for me is in the first part where Bordis and Clyden are arguing and Clyden says, I love him with all my heart. And then what happens later, I'm like, is Clyden just specifically it's conditional love for Clyden if it meets Clyden's requirements? Yeah, I had the same thought with the same line that it was with conditions. I love him with all my heart if he fits these certain scenarios. So that's something that I don't know if Bordis is like, this is just how Clyden is. But that has to also equate to Clyden's love for Bordis being conditional as well. True. And I think that we see some of those conditions come to a head later on. This is an awful thing for Topa to be dealing just with this in general and then have your father pretty much indoctrinate you with this. Like being male is the only thing, the only choice. So it's like someone already dealing with so many confusing feelings. It's just then you have someone else projecting all their crap on you. Yeah. Clyden angrily storms into Grayson's office and threatens her for leading Topa into emotional turmoil. When Kelly insists that Topa is still female underneath that appearance, Clyden lunges at her, but she quickly dodges it and presses him against the wall. She then releases him and tells him to leave. Intense scene. Again, performances are fantastic. I feel like a lot of times when, and Chad Coleman probably suffers from this a bit, when Clyden is being Clyden, Mm -hmm. we fail to recognize how good the performance is. And we just see Clyden as like this character that we dislike because of what he's doing. But the ability to pull off that performance should be recognized. I've loved Chad L. Coleman for years. He was in Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. He was one of my favorite characters. And he's in The Expanse as well. Yeah. And he does such a good job because it's hard to play a character that people inherently might not like Mm -hmm. because like you're saying people then only see the character and not the person playing the character this sequence in general i can understand why Clyden is mad that kelly overstepped Mm -hmm. because mark was talking about it he's like i'm trying to think about if it was like a student teacher situation and that that's just the parents yeah kelly went to talk to the parents it didn't work and so he was just kind of going through scenarios of like how this would work out Clyden is just not good at communicating. No. And he's not receptive to what other people are saying either. Very impressive when Kelly just, I don't know the best way to put it, just puts him in his place and tells him to leave. Yeah. What did you make of this whole thing? It was a great sequence. Something, though, I caught on the second watch through that I didn't on the first Mm -hmm. is that when Clyden accuses her of giving him the password, because I was so wrapped up in the intensity of the scene, I wasn't like hearing the dialogue as much. But on the second watch through, she says that she didn't give it to him before he cuts her off. And she's not lying, which we find out later. I thought she was when we first. Yeah. Well, I was like, oh, she's just lying to Clyden. Because <laughs> I mean, honestly, he's heated. He's in her right. office, like slamming his hands. Like, I mean, sometimes maybe in those scenarios, you don't fully tell the truth because you're afraid of what this other person might do. But yeah, we find out later that someone else gave the password. Yeah. Which I think made it more impactful. Because I think Bordis is a very stoic individual. Clyden is not. No, he goes off. Yeah, Clyden is not stoic. And Bordis is. And so Mm -hmm. I think this is an episode where we're seeing Bordis finally almost stand up for himself and for Topa. And for something he cares about and has viewed. I think Bordis is more passive. Just kind of like, oh, you know, say lovey about a lot of things. But this is something that really matters. And this is him standing up for that. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Bordis goes to Kelly's quarters to ask for her help because Topa won't speak to him or Clyden. She apologizes for overstepping, but Bordis then tells her that he's the one who gave Topa the password. He was monitoring the security station and saw that Topa was accessing the file, so he made a snap judgment and sent it. Through tears, Bordis says that he doesn't know how to help his son. This scene is brutal, too. Bordis crying, man. (laughs) It is a rare sight. Oh, I may have gotten emotional. I can confirm that that happened. You can feel the hurt through the screen. Mm -hmm. And Bordis feeling like it wasn't planned. I just did it. It was an opportunity and I just sent it. And you can tell that Bordis is very conflicted and very hurt and very much wanting to do right by Topa. Yeah. But feeling like Clyden won't let me let Topa be themselves. Yeah. And Peter Macon's ability to act through that makeup and those prosthetics Mm -hmm. and really emote. I know we can still see portions of his face, his actual face that are just covered with makeup, but like the amount that the prosthetics cover and everything. And there is no part of his expression that we're missing. It's all there. Yeah. In a lot of ways, this scene just kind of makes me speechless, Mm -hmm. but I very much felt the scene. It's memorable. It sticks with you. For sure. Kelly and Bordis or Adrian Pilecki and Peter Macon, they played off of each other so well in this and just made a scene that, like I said, you feel the scene. It's not a scene you watch. Yeah. Dr. Finn has met with Topa and tells Ed and Kelly that she feels like the commander did the right thing. When Grayson enters the room, Topa asks her what to do, but Kelly doesn't have the answer. Wishing to meet a Mocklin female, Kelly says that might be possible. In the environmental simulator, Kelly brings up the courtroom in which Topa's fate was decided. In the middle of that room stands Havina, who makes her speech on behalf of Topa, acknowledging the gift of being female and happy. As Topa watches, tears roll down his face. They go to Dr. Finn's office, where Topa simply says, I am female. Man, okay, so I know we talked about this in the trivia, but I could not, even on first watch, watch this scene without wondering how they pulled it off from a technical standpoint because it is just so flawless and so incredibly done. As we mentioned, check out the Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod if you want to watch the side-by-side that we put up. That'll also be on the YouTube account if you want to check it out there. And I will link to Tom Costantino's Twitter thread that we were talking about earlier. That goes through like the full process of how they technically put this together between bringing back Havina, rebuilding the original set, getting cast people back in their season one uniforms. So much thought and work went into this and it's so, so impressive and I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, from a technical point of view and a viewer point of view, I mean, we watched about a girl. Havina's speech is very memorable, so... I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, Lars in the background. And I'm just like, how do they do this? And, you know, just like studying it. But also the scene itself, when you take all that aside, is very powerful watching Topa just fixated on Havina and trying to take in the words that she is saying. Yeah. Imagine watching this person standing in front of you who is fighting for you to keep the thing that you feel less of without. It must be so surreal to... I can't even put myself in that situation to think about, here's the trial that they decided your fate with. And it's very much like that butterfly effect kind of deal. One small change or one big change can change the course of your life. And I didn't even think about how they could revisit that. Mm -hmm. And Topa could see Havina and a powerful Mocklin woman who is their greatest writer. But I did think Kelly did say that used to be their most powerful writer, right? 
Yes, before she revealed herself as female. And then, yep. That makes me sad. Like, I already knew that, but it was just when you hear it again. Yeah. Like, oh, was the fact that their gender is what makes it good. So, yeah, it's just this scene alone is powerful from about a girl. And then you add in the layer of Topa seeing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. It puts a whole new perspective on it. And it's interesting that at the time, like we said, Havina's speech is so incredibly powerful, but they still lost the case despite it. Yeah. And yet that same speech viewed once again by Topa helps to inspire him to make the choice that restores all that. So... Even though they lost that original case, they're eventually coming back to win. It broke my brain a little bit just thinking about it. But yeah, like (laughs) how something maybe looks like a loss at first can still have an impact on someone Mm -hmm. later on. Like sometimes with this is a really poor analogy, (laughs) but it's like with content creation, if you make something and you don't feel like it reaches as many people as you Mm -hmm. want it to, but you might have made someone's day who watched what you made, mm-hmm. even if it only went to three people, there might be one person who's like that changed my day and turned it completely around. Yeah. And so it's like, again, not really a butterfly effect, but context, timing, all of that really matters. And Topa, in the end, got to decide her fate. Yeah. Not the court. And if any of these episodes made your day better, Apple Podcasts, five star oh review. Oh my gosh, just Rob. <laughs> <laughs> five star review. <laughs> <laughs> In Mercer's office, Kelly and Clyden are arguing over whether Topa should be allowed to undergo a procedure that would make her female once again. Clyden gets upset when Bordis agrees that Kelly is right. While Dr. Finn says it would be fairly simple and the psychological risk should be minimal, since they're really only restoring what was originally taken away, Clyden argues that it's both immoral and illegal, unmockless at least. Mercer chimes in that, where medical issues are concerned, It only requires the consent of one parent or guardian. Before Bordis can approve, Clyden tells him that if he gives permission, he will leave him. Ed further adds that even with consent, it might not be that simple. There's a lot to unpack here. Oh, yeah. They're going to do the procedure. I know here, at least in the States, I don't know if it's worldwide or how it goes, but for someone to do gender reassignment, there's usually therapy that they have to go through and Mm -hmm. like take some time to consider and like, It seems like the future, they've definitely changed some of that, but it makes sense that Topa wants to be themselves. And it also makes sense, and I'm glad that Claire gave voice to this, is that they are restoring Topa to being Mm -hmm. a female, and that takes less consideration, perhaps, than changing gender initially. Mm -hmm. You can see Borda struggling in this whole sequence. Clyden is just upset. The whole line of... I will leave you and I won't even give you the dignity of the typical divorce, which is getting stabbed. Yeah. This scene just bums me out in a lot of ways just because Topa doesn't deserve to just be what you're supposed to be, like Mm -hmm. the box you're supposed to fit into. And that's what Clyden represents. You're supposed to be in the box. The box is what you're supposed to be. And it is a metaphor to how a lot of people think in the world sometimes It gets labeled as like, oh, it's someone from a certain generation. It's like, no, you have to open the box. It's closed mindedness. And man, Bord is saying that they agree made me very happy that somebody was speaking for Topa of the two of them. They both weren't like, no, this is just what it is now. Mm -hmm. But I think Bordis and Ed bring up it's not just what I want or what Topa wants. It's what we find out in the next scene, how much more complicated it is. Yeah. 
In the briefing room, they make a call to Admiral Howland, who tells them that going forward with the procedure would imperil their relationship with the Mocklins and orders Dr. Finn not to proceed. Grayson argues that everyone is within their legal rights, but the Admiral responds by saying that even though that might be true, the risk is far too great. She could have the procedure done outside of a union ship and without a union doctor, but the Mocklins would immediately arrest her in that situation. Grayson and Bordis break the news to Topa, who says that it isn't fair, that her life will always be dictated by other people. So I get the Admiral's point here, but that's a hard order to give. I imagine it was even difficult for the Admiral to do that. I know we look at her in this moment as the enemy or the bad guy, but it can't be easy for her either. Even though I know that this scene and a lot of her role in this episode is a commentary on the government making decisions over the body of others when yeah. they really have no right to do so and the toll that that takes on the people that are affected by those decisions. So totally understand the commentary, but also thinking about like the humanity of the Admiral and having to be the one to deliver that news after they deliberated it for so long and everything. It is a huge commentary on how broken society is yeah. in general. It's the whole philosophical question. Do you save your friend or I don't remember what I have to remember the question. Do you sacrifice one for the good of many kind of question? Mm-hmm. Here, remember, you like push someone in front of a train, something like that. <laughs> it's one of those like scenarios. Yeah. And in the one scenario, you save one person and the other you save hundreds. So they're looking at it from that perspective of like Topa can just put whatever they have on hold so that we can keep political things secure. It's the whole, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few type deal. It's disappointing because the union shouldn't really have a say in any of this. It should be the person's choice to do that, whatever they want. So yeah, the commentary there, it's glaring when you watch it. Just, oh my gosh, this is so broken. Like in this, it's so broken. You can see it. And then this is just like the reality we actually live in. Mm -hmm. And that scares me. And I don't want to think about it too hard because (laughs) it's awful. It's not fair for Topa to have to sacrifice her wishes for political status quo. Yeah. Back at the alien temple, Burke reports that it's all been mapped out for the science team. When Tala asks about Topa, Dr. Finn suggests a way to help. If she resigns her commission, she would be a civilian doctor operating outside of union jurisdiction. Ed and Kelly further detail the risks, but before she can fully agree, Isaac interjects. He states that since he's not technically a union officer, he could perform the surgery and do so as easily as he performs any of his other tasks. I was worried there for a second about Claire leaving the show. This is the moment I thought, because Seth MacFarlane tweeted that there's some surprises and things coming up in this episode. And there are. And there are, but I was also (laughs) thinking worst case scenario where I was like, oh crap, is this another one of the surprises? Like... Dr. Finn is going to become a civilian doctor and leave the ship. So glad to say that did not happen in this episode. But that is where my brain went immediately, that Claire would technically leave the union, do the procedure, and then not be allowed to stay on the Orville. Because Kelly pretty much says you'd have to say goodbye to the Orville. Yeah. So I'm just sitting there like, please don't do this to me. I'm not emotionally prepared after what we've already been through. So when Isaac shows up and just goes, yeah, I'm not technically part of the union i could do the surgery and i'm pretty much a doctor so this season makes me love isaac more and more with every episode his not being an official union person has come in handy quite a few times this time specifically very much appreciate the i don't know isaac was just like i'll just do it yeah and no hesitation 
he's not just a robot. I know at the end there's a conversation, but I don't feel like he's just a robot. I think there's a little selfish motive there because Isaac doesn't want Claire to leave. I have some things to say about that later, too. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I am so wrapped up in the Isaac Claire love I connection. know you are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, the, so I, I'm glad that Isaac can do it. Claire is not leaving the show. <laughs> but I think it's interesting at this point, this is when Ed goes, I cannot tell you to do this. And I am telling you to not do this and we can't be aware of it. Mm-hmm. But aren't they technically aware of it when they organize that show? Yes, but there's plausible deniability and that's what they need. I'm just sitting there thinking like they still know, though. And I guess it comes down to how good of a liar you can be. <laughs> so... I guess they did technically not know, but they also planned all of this so that something could occur during that time. Mm-hmm. To ensure that none of the crew would accidentally enter sick bay during the procedure, Mercer announced that Bordis will be performing that evening by gracing the crew with his vocal talents. As Ty takes a seat at the piano, Bordis steps up to the mic and begins his first song. So as I was watching this episode, I was like laying on my couch, just kind of hanging out, watching it. And as soon as they were like, Bordis is going to sing tonight, I sat up on my couch and I was like, is it really going to happen? We've been waiting for this for so long. And I was so excited. The first thing I thought of was, you will be silent. Yes. that And they did add a little line yeah. like that. I felt bad that Bordis yelled at Ty, but <laughs> Ty took it in stride. So Yeah, it was still funny. Yeah, and... It was fun to see the whole crew RSVP for this. Which is what they knew would happen. That's that's how they get. They had to come up with something that everyone would want to go to. Mm-hmm. I also love the subtlety of the scene that Bordis is doing this so that mm-hmm. Topa can get what she wants. So yeah. I love that it's like, yeah, Bordis is singing. But like that subtle underlying thing of Bordis is doing this for Topa. I think it makes it more poignant than just like, oh, he's just singing in the shuttle bay. Yeah. I loved the shots when they showed every other part of the ship being empty. Yes. I was like, oh, screen grab, screen grab, Honestly, screen grab. Honestly, yeah. I was like, oh, I get to like see just the sets. But yep. also I was, I just appreciate it because also I feel like the sets deserve to be shown off. And it was also impactful to be like, look, everybody went to this. Mm-hmm. So it was just a very cleverly done way to show like, hey, everybody went to the concert. There's no one around. And yeah, you know what comes next. Oh, yeah. Isaac brings Topa to sickbay to perform the procedure, but they're interrupted by Clyden, who forbids him to go through with it. Clyden attempts to pass Isaac, but the Kalon grabs his arm and forces him to the ground. Frustrated and humiliated, Clyden leaves and Topa lays down on the medical table. As Bordis' performance concludes, Topa's eyes open. She steps down from the bed, looks into a mirror on the wall, and as she sees herself for the first time as a female, she smiles. Oh, I loved all of this. I loved that Isaac's so medicinal. Please disrobe kind of thing. And then, you know, it was like, well, I wish Dr. Finn was here. And so he switches this sweet bedside manner. Yep. The Clyden thing stressed me out when he walked in. I was like, oh, my gosh. Just the whole. How did Clyden know? But I didn't realize this. We found out like you can pretty much say, hey, where's Topa? And it will tell you where that person is. True. And I was sitting there like, oh, 
we all have like tracking devices on us if you're on like a ship. And it makes sense because I feel like that's pretty common on spaceship shows. Like, yeah. Hey, where's data? And someone goes out in airlock and need to be able to keep track. Of yeah. That. <laughs> or yeah. Like where's data? They're no longer on the ship. It's kind of like good to know. So you keep track of people. <laughs> Clyden showing up. It's disappointing. He will just not accept this. Mm-hmm. And Isaac interfering in that way was one of the best things ever yeah. I've seen on like it was so impactful to me that he I don't know how to explain this very well but that Isaac was stepping in front of Clyden every mm-hmm. time Clyden tried to get to Topa and then with very bare means grabbing Clyden's hand and pushing him to the floor because mm-hmm. Isaac could have done much worse than that oh yeah and when Clyden gets back up too Isaac almost postures at him yeah it this is where I also feel like it's not just a robot in there but That was so powerful to me, him grabbing his hand and pushing him down to the floor. And the way that the shots were set up, it had an impact that I appreciated from a viewer perspective. I was like, look at Isaac stepping up for Topa. And I think what excited me most about this episode is so many people stood up for Topa. I did grab one Isaac line, too, that I'm just going to keep in my back pocket for like Twitter trolls and stuff. Oh, what is it? I surmise your capacity to reason has been compromised by your cultural indoctrination. Oof. I mean, Isaac (laughs) dropping truth bombs here. So good. I mean, if you say that to a troll, they might respond, but I feel like there's less likely of a chance because that's a pretty good line to just pull out. Yeah. Either way, that's a conversation ender, regardless of the sponder. They're like, do I want to deal with this? I don't know. (laughs) The USS Newton arrives with the science team, but they've also brought Admiral Howland who wants to see Mercer and Grayson in his office. In Ed's office, the Admiral gives the two a lecture for jeopardizing the alliance with the Mocklins. However, they have no plans to remove themselves from the Union. And since a Kalon performed the procedure, they're even more motivated to vanquish their race. As she leaves, Howland turns to extend her best wishes to the Mocklin girl. The whole time they were getting lectured here, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop for the Admiral to be like, you know what, you did a dumb but you did good, too. Yeah. Because that's such a common thing that you see when they have to, like, lecture or put someone in their place because they broke the rules. But then at the end, there's the little nod of, but you did the right thing. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to look the other way, even though I just dressed you down a little bit. It wasn't as serious as it seemed. I'm on your side. Had to do the formalities before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, plausible deniability for the Admiral. Totally, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As long as you do the things you're supposed to do, you can still be like, yeah, but you did good. Yeah. I didn't think about this. And this is just a clever writing thing Mm -hmm. that since Isaac did perform the surgery, it's that little twist that the Mocklins go, oh, now we're even more pissed at the Kalon. Yeah, that's an interesting wrinkle that I don't think any of them considered leading into this, that like the Kalons, when they found out, because obviously they would, that it's like more motivation now. I've never done script writing. And so I'm always impressed that someone sits down and writes a script. Like, I don't know how that comes <laughs> into fruition. Yeah, It just seems like such a foreign concept to me. But I really appreciate when there's forethought in the writing Mm -hmm. to have something like this little detail really help smooth out an issue without seeming like it was crowbarred in. Mm -hmm. They didn't just show up and say, well, like, oh, someone jumped on the ship and did the procedure and then jumped out the airlock. And it's not something like that. It felt like it flowed with the story. And it also helped resolve some of the big glaring issues that could have come up with it. Very true. 
In the Mocklin's quarters, Clyden is packing his things. Ordis asks what benefit he gets from holding so stubbornly to tradition that it gets in the way of his family. When Topa tells Clyden that she loves him, Clyden only responds with, I wish you were never born, and then leaves. At this time, I was like, Clyden, this is your chance to get some small shred of your dignity back and hold on to at least your kid just a little bit. And he throws it all away. It rendered me speechless because this is so damaging to say to a kid. Mm -hmm. Topa's still your progeny, your little one to say something like, I wish you were never born. When you said a couple days ago, I love Topa more than anything, doesn't compute to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad Bordis is there because Bordis then says you're perfect. And I know from reading things about kids who grow up in abusive situations, having one parent who can balance it out mm-hmm. can help save a child a lot of stress later in life and doesn't take away that Clyden said, I wish you were never born, but to have a parent that does affirm you and make you feel seen. I appreciated that that was the takeaway from that. Not that Clyton's saying, I wish you were never born. Yeah. Part of me is like, he's packing a bag. He's heading out. Is Clyden coming back? I don't feel like this is the last we'll see of Clyden. I don't think so either, but I think it might be a couple episodes, even though we're like halfway through this season already. I know like we've been talking every episode about how excited I am for a Bordis Clyden Topa episode. And they did deliver in this one. Mm -hmm. I did not expect Clyden to be leaving Bordis and Topa. Mm. Did not see that coming. Nor I. I knew they had problems, but yeah. Claire enters Isaac's lab to tell him that he did a good thing and Topa's very grateful. Maybe that means something to him. He says it doesn't and that he didn't do the procedure for Topa's benefit. Instead, he did it to increase crew efficiency as they might now view him more favorably since he helped Topa. After telling him how honest he is, the doctor then asks him to dinner. So I'm sure you are very thrilled as the romance continues. Yeah. On one hand, mm-hmm. it's all about crew efficiency to Isaac. He's just a robot. But <laughs> but was he being honest, though? Claire's like, you're the most honest man I know. But was he being honest? Or did he really do all this to protect Claire? Like I was saying with him stepping in, like, I'm not a union officer. I'll do it. Yeah. I think he saw Claire leaving exactly as a potential option. So I totally could see him doing it more for Claire than for Topa. I do think Isaac has some feelings and emotions that maybe haven't been fully formed yet. But I don't think he's advanced enough to. I mean, he can lie. He can. I also just feel like I think he kind of did it for Topa, too. I think he did it for Claire. And because Claire cared about Topa, he also cared about Topa. He might have done it for Topa a little bit, but I think Topa was the bottom of his list. I think it was Claire, crew efficiency, Topa. Ooh, see, I would say Claire, Topa. I think he uses crew efficiency as a way to deflect. Maybe. I just think he doesn't have enough of a relationship with Topa to put it above crew efficiency. (laughs) The thing about it, though, what about all the stuff with Clyden and protecting Topa? Yeah, that's what I'm factoring in, too, is like you were saying, the posturing and just him getting. Yeah, that could also be related to Claire, mm-hmm. because if he doesn't do the procedure himself, if this fails, then Claire is put back in jeopardy because the option of her leaving comes back up. I feel like that very much could be a part of this. 
keeping her on the Orville. Yeah, that's the driving force. Yeah, because he stepped in when Kelly said, you'd have to say goodbye to the Orville. Mm -hmm. And then Isaac's like, hey, don't forget about (laughs) me. I'm also maybe a doctor. So yeah, and the way that I think my brain goes is because he cares about Claire and Claire cares about this, that then Isaac cares about it. And he is still a machine. I get it. But I do feel like there's a little (laughs) bit, there's gotta be something. I hope there's a whole episode where there's just a revelation. (laughs) I would even take like an offhand comment at this point about. (laughs) But would you like Isaac as much if he had full fledged emotions or is that part of his appeal? I think the journey is part of the appeal. Hmm. Like, you know, with Data, not to compare, but Data's journey was wanting to, I want to feel like a person and getting this emotion chip and stuff. I, I love watching the evolution of Isaac. So Isaac can have emotions on the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> he can have his revelation. Well, I don't want to even say, I don't even want to speak this into existence, but on the series finale. Yeah. That'll never happen though, because this show's going to go on forever, obviously. Exactly, obviously. Season four, we need season four. Yes. Can we please get a confirmation for that, please? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Grayson calls Topa and asks her if she'd like to sit in the command chair as they leave orbit. To the tune of You'll Never Walk Alone, Topa makes her way to the bridge, takes a seat in the captain's chair, and gives the order to engage quantum drive. Are you able to hear that phrase without thinking about this podcast anymore? No, I'm I not. hear quantum drive and I'm like, yeah, but yeah. it's for like, I'm like, that's the podcast. But also just that line was exciting because... Topa gets to have a moment and I'm really excited for her. And I think it's a good metaphor for we're starting that next step and you're in the captain's chair now. You're in the chair now. Like it's a whole metaphor for Topa being in charge of her life now. Mm -hmm. And I really loved that. And I was really excited that it ended with an engaged quantum drive line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what is your big takeaway from this episode? All right. Mine's a little short and sweet. Sure. Which is not normal for me because I tend to ramble and then be like, okay, I'll get back on topic here at some point. But I think this is my favorite episode ever of the Orville. Wow, that's big. Yeah. So we got asked. I was just going to say, yeah. Recently, like, what's your favorite episode of the Orville? And I was like, oh, it's like my kids. I can't pick one. But a Tale of Two Topas is now my new favorite episode of the Orville. Boom. Boom. As Lamar would say. Boom. <laughs> boom like Lamar. <laughs> the conversation that Kelly and Topa have in front of the quantum drive is mm-hmm. was so impactful to me. There was moments in this episode that have really stuck with me more so than just like, oh, that was a great episode. The emotion and the dialogue, the acting, the whole story about someone finding their identity and mm. then being true to themselves I just really loved how Seth MacFarlane wrote this episode, how it was directed. It just told a very complete story that spoke to me. So I very much enjoyed specifically the conversation between Kelly and Topa. There's also the Kelly Bordis conversation. And then also Isaac sticking up for Topa when Topa is about to get her procedure done. Yeah. So I feel like the writing was the forefront in this episode. We still got some fun CGI things. We still got to see cool lore and backdrop and a cool ancient Egyptian world. (laughs) So we still got lots of things like that. Yeah. But I feel like this was a very story centric episode and I was a million percent okay with that. The acting from Peter Macon, Adrian Palicki, Chad L. Coleman, Amani Pullum, everybody did such an amazing job. I knew I was invested because I was watching this episode. And after that quantum drive conversation, 
I didn't get distracted by other things. I was just focused on the show, mm-hmm. which is hard to do for me sometimes. Like I have a hard time focusing on things. And so I have Hulu with commercials. <laughs> so every time a commercial came on, I was just like, oh my gosh, can we please not? I just want to know what happens. But weirdly with the commercial breaks, I feel like it let me sit with what had happened. Hmm. And I never thought I would say that about commercial breaks ever again, because I'm so used to the format now where you just stream and you can binge watch and all that. And I'm weirdly falling in love again with weekly episodes and commercial breaks. I mute the commercials, (laughs) (laughs) but it gives me time to sit with what has just occurred in that set of sequences. Mm -hmm. I appreciated the discussions about identity and being true to ourselves in a world that often labels us or boxes us in. And I liked this episode specifically because Topa was on a path to discovering what would make her happy and got that a happy ending. Yeah. And I very much felt the emotion throughout the whole episode. The way that all of it was done was done in such a beautiful way. Not in a way that I can explain very perfectly, but the dynamics of all the characters. Yes, Clyden was kind of the worst in this, but it provided the right antagonistic back and forth so that we could really feel what Topa was going through and how much this meant for Topa to become herself. Yeah, as much as it is to not like Clyden as a character, he is a necessary part of the story for the story to work. Yeah, because if it was just like everybody skipping through flowers in a field, it wouldn't have that same impact. Mm -hmm. But it also, it mirrors so much of what people who are trying to make changes like this in their lives have to face. In your face, anger and hostility, and you just want to be yourself, but you have people who are showing up telling you you're wrong or this isn't what you're supposed to do. And so mm-hmm. it's not inaccurate to depict it that way. And it's very realistic to what a lot of people have to deal with. I was sitting there throughout this episode, just Clyden's onslaught is the best way to put it. It's never ending. And even in those situations where Topa's just trying to think or right before her procedure, getting hit with that information over and over again. It's a good way to show how in our society, how unrelenting it can be to exist in Mm. our universe, in our world. So I think my biggest takeaway is that I appreciated that people were advocating for Topa and that they were supportive. And Clyden took on the role of being kind of the worst, but that so many other people stood up and stood with Topa. So the whole story of Topa finding herself and what makes her happy was just beautifully done from start to finish. And now it's my favorite episode of the show. Big statement. It's a big statement for me when I can't even pick one thing a lot of the time. So, <laughs> so Rob, what was your takeaway from this episode? I also really like this episode. It was a great follow-up to About a Girl, which I was very happy to revisit since that is the episode that started the transformation of this show from a straight comedy to something more. So to go into season three, where the show has made another leap forward in its evolution, to revisit a story that was that important in its transformation in the beginning was awesome. I love that connection. There's a lot of great commentary here regarding trans rights and the government overstepping where they shouldn't in regard to what other people should or should not be allowed to do with their own bodies a conversation that is far too relevant in the times we're living in right now. I am still absolutely blown away by what they accomplished in recreating the courtroom scene. I know we said it earlier, but the technological accomplishment in doing that, seeing the work that's involved in putting that together and making it flow so seamlessly, 
Like we've said to the VFX crew and the behind the scenes people so many times this season, we see what you're doing and we appreciate it. And we're going to keep doing it because the work is so important and it makes such a major difference in the show, especially in stuff like that. It's absolutely huge. And again, check out our Twitter and YouTube accounts for the comparison between the scenes from the episodes. And of course, check out Tom Costantino's Twitter thread. All of that will be linked on the show notes at thegeekgeneration.com. If I had any complaint in this episode, it is that we have a very small B story. Like this is mostly a story. Mm -hmm. It is the one singular story going all the way through. We have the B story of the ancient temple introduced. And I do wish we had seen a little bit more of that or that even in the short time that we had with those scenes, that there was some connective tissue with that alien race to Topa's story. Like maybe they discovered something about this alien race that also helped to illuminate what Topa's journey was and help her make that decision, even if it wasn't just Havina and there's this other part as well. But I totally understand that, like, even given how much longer we're getting in these episodes, they still have to make cuts somewhere. So I totally understand. And that is such a minor gripe that I was hesitant to even mention it. If you have those scenes there, if you take them away, the episode is so good, regardless that it doesn't affect my enjoyment of the episode. And then lastly, to kind of echo what you said, the performances in this episode are just absolutely spectacular. Peter Macon and Chad L. Coleman, fantastic. Kelly's been around plenty this season, but I feel like this is the first episode in season three that really gave Adrian Palicki some big stuff to do. And she rose to that challenge and then some. Yeah. She really brought it in this episode. And then there's Imani Pullum as Topa. I don't know how old this young actor is. Good Lord. I know. I was like, if I can have an ounce of this kid's talent. Yeah. You know, if this is what she's capable of already, she's got quite the career ahead of her. She mm -hmm. was amazing in this episode. Like, I know what you're saying about like there being a B plot, but I'm like, I almost think it might have taken away from Topa's story. It probably would have. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I'm a, not critical when you analyze something. Is it critical? That just sounds really harsh. Analytical? Analytical. <laughs> yeah, like, it's because we watch the show in a very analytical way. We do, yeah. So what's hard about that is, like, I have my other podcast where I do talk about stuff, and I tear those movies to shreds. Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm looking at it with that extra lens of, like, I'm not just sprawled on the couch watching, and I'm like, I want to make sure I'm paying really good attention and yeah. picking up on details. And that's how I know I really, really love this show is because I'm not sitting there and I'm not like seeing issues. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I'm not picking the show apart. Like I just feel like you had mentioned the behind the scenes crew. You can tell how hard they're working to make this look good, but also have that continuity. So you're not just like taken out of the show because mm -hmm. we're super fans of the show. Like going back to that courtroom scene, making sure everything is just right. So that when we sit there, we're not like, oh, that's not the real thing. Like they just read like they slap this back together kind of. So it's the show itself does such a good job at showing that it cares about the stories it's telling mm -hmm. and that you can tell from even interacting on Twitter or the people working behind the scenes and the actors. They all care about this and yeah. what they're doing. And I think that really shows. And in this episode specifically, I think they're all very passionate about the story that they were telling. And I think that translated 
Yeah, it's so evident. Mm -hmm. It comes through. Okay. Before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband, Mark, is also a big fan of the Orville and always leaves us with his one sentence review. For the plots, drama, and occasional comedy, I will miss Clyden. For the bigotry, hate, and general unpleasantness, I say good day to you, sir. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in, in the, the future. future.